Hello everyone and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week coming to you from an alternate location. I was going to say, do we sound different? We we are coming this week. You know, normally we we are, you know, in a lovely vantage point on the the 6th fairway mm-hmm. of the beautiful Turnberry Golf Club in uh, Red Tail. Red excuse me, Red Tail. Wow. Yeah, we don't live on Turnberry. No, we, we don't. We li- we don't live on Turnberry. It's we're, we're Turnberry adjacent, but we are not <laughs> on Turnberry. We are on the sixth fairway of the beautiful Red Tail Golf Club. But this week, and probably for maybe the next two or three sh- three shows, we are in the glass enclosed nerve center, <laughs> also known as our guest bedroom. We we have more windows, so it's glass enclosed. I uh, you do technically have a single more window one See? window more the glass enclosed nerve center yeah um it also doesn't have a chair for me well that well it, it does it's just not in range of a microphone <laughs> <laughs> the headphone cable actually we could get the microphone over there the headphone cable won't make it that that is a bit of a problem i also <laughs> think that you know podcasting from a recliner would be less than ideal well yeah i'm not sure that you know, perched on the guest room bed is the better option, <laughs> but we're camping right now. So there, there is construction getting ready to kick off in our normal recording location. So we had to vacate it. Um, hopefully it means that uh, we'll have a little less in a way of extraneous noise down there once we return, but it's going to be a couple of weeks. Um, I should also add that next weekend, despite the fact that it will be the British Grand Prix, we won't have a show. Apparently, that's my fault. It is your It's not apparently. It, it, it <laughs> very clearly is. It's not I, even a maybe. I think we need to stop blaming me <clears throat> for every one of the show misses. We haven't blamed you for everyone. We've blamed you for quite a few, but not everyone. I think the tally board says that it's definitely weighted to my side than your side. Well, that's because that's true. I, I think we need to stop with that, though. We need to stop blaming me. Whether or not it's true doesn't matter. Was that it? It's just the blame. Yes, I will not be in town. I'll have to watch the British Grand Prix in uh, after the fact. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. But I am going to go hang out with another F1 fan, and thus I may get some f1 updates over the weekend maybe no not maybe i typically get them while, okay while we're well, you follow you follow more than they do so well yeah i have i have my priorities <laughs> in the correct locations so wanted to start off and, and and we have spoken on a couple of occasions about how much of a logistical challenge formula one can be and, and moving things around and it's certainly a bigger issue this year Mm -hmm. but we've got some statistics we've got some information from 2019 as to what this has looked like and how it has worked so in 2019 all the teams nf1 moved more than 1,000 tons of equipment to each race wow to each race um larger teams usually have around 100 personnel and 50 tons of cargo that they bring to each race um so the question is, how do they get there? Well, for European races, everything is transported by road. 
You know, they, mm-hmm. they've got all the trucks, and you see them when they do the overhead shots of the, the lorries lined up. And Monaco is one, if you remember, we talked about this years ago, because they don't have a place that they can store those trucks and store a lot of the, the, the non-immediate trackside stuff right there alongside the track in Monaco. So the trucks come in at like 2 in the morning, unload, and then go to a marshalling yard back in France. Right. <laughs> they have a whole separate parking lot. In another country. Yeah. Okay, but in the defense, <clears throat> Monaco as a country is kind of small. Yeah, but still, you know, it's that, oh, we got to bring, bring the trucks to go park them in the other country because they can't stay here. It's border control that's always the problem. Yeah. Um, so... The flyaway races, obviously things get a lot more complicated. And we talked about this in a run-up to the season. They had to figure out what they were going to do with cargo and where it was going to go. So what we know is that non-car-related equipment, especially things that are um, fairly low-cost and and bulky, you know, things like the office furniture, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm assuming some computers, cabling, things like that, um, those things, as we know, are sent by sea to keep down costs. But there's actually... The teams have, on average, five sets of that cargo in motion to support the season. Whoa. Because, you know, you go and you ship the stuff off to Australia, and maybe a week later the teams are in Asia. You can't just go and drop that on a ship and get it to Asia from Australia in three or four days. Can you imagine for a minute... In Brackley, in uh, Woking, (coughs) there is some guy. His job is the logistics of this. And he has a whiteboard. And it's, it's, all right, I've got Toto's desk going to Australia, China, and Japan. Except it's not. It's toto's number three desk well yeah and And toto's number two desk is going here and toto's number one desk is going to these races right and i have to have five copies of everything and there's 45 folding chairs that are going to be in australia but i need 72 (coughs) in shanghai (laughs) so late january early february is when the first shipments go out and obviously head off to australia but the the equipment that goes to Australia in 2019, its next stop was Canada. Wow. After that, the stuff went to Singapore. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wonder. I mean, these guys all like to, like, play around and stuff. You got to wonder if somebody slips a Post-it note in, like, one of the desk drawers or inside one of the laptops and says see you in canada well you know that that, that's the thing it is you know toto gets into to montreal and this is the furniture that was in australia and he goes and opens up a drawer and he goes oh that's where that five dollar note went yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you know it's easier for the teams to have duplicates of these items all over the world than to send them by air to each individual race and of course, it gives them plenty of time for that cargo, which is a bit less, um, bit less critical mm-hmm. for it to arrive on time, um, even if the teams and the rest of the equipment are rushing straight from a race. 
um, the most important stuff, the, the stuff that's car related, that is flown from race to race. And I think we've mentioned this a couple of times that new parts can be flown out and have been flown out during the race weekend itself. And they've had, it, it's not unusual to have a team member flown out from the factory with a vital part stashed in their carry-on bags, even as late as on Saturday. That amazes me. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting, and I'm pretty sure that they already do it, but I'm waiting for them to have in the cargo a 3D printer, and they send a a file from the factory and say, print, and it just appears. And and we've talked about that a couple of years ago, that, that a couple of teams were looking at doing something like that. The question is when it's going to be possible to do that with carbon fiber oh yeah because it's got to get cured and it's got to get set and all of those various once they can figure out how to do something like that and on the spot manufacturing carbon fiber all bets are off oh yeah but i just think that would be so so cool so for each race there are priority pallets that are packed with the essentials uh to put together the garage which are first to arrive at the circuit so the team can set up um, and start creating the, the F1 paddock ready for the rest of the personnel and the equipment to arrive. Now, for fairness, teams are actually not allowed to start building at the flyaway races until all of the cargo has arrived. So all of the teams have to get their priority pallets, their garage pallets and stuff in before anybody kicks off. Oh, okay. Which, that, that's kind of cool. I mean, you play nice. Yeah. Um, so alongside the, the cargo that the teams have, there's all the other equipment that's necessary for the event to go ahead. So you're talking everything that's ne- – and this is the stuff that the FIA, the FIA moves. Um, the, the items that are needed to build and equip the broadcasting center. So you're talking 60 kilometers of cable transmitting the footage from 126 cameras. Um, you know, all of these various things to make sure that they can get everything broadcast out. Oh, Wow. And then there's still stuff that's, you know, local, you know, the helicopters and stuff that they stay. But I'm, well, actually not assuming. We know that things like the medical car and the safety car, those are all shipped with every. Now, I'm assuming that there's probably multiples of those. I don't know. Wow. And if you can hear that, we just had a thunderstorm roll in. And it's, see, we can see this in our glass-enclosed nerve center is I can see that it's now pouring outside. Okay. If you had opened the shutters in your office, you could have seen that it was pouring outside, too. Yes, but we're in the glass-enclosed nerve center now. It has one (laughs) single window more than your office. It's my story, and and I'm sticking to it. three more windows than I have in my office. It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh. So, what about after the race? Mm -hmm. So... You know, obviously, they just abandon all hope. Yeah, they just uh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> obviously packing up quickly is essential, especially when you're talking about back-to-back race weekends. Um, the things that's no longer needed is usually packed up as the team goes along. Mm. So you know, as they're going through the race, if they realize that you know we don't need the third jack, we might as well go ahead and put that away, or you know that realization of oh we, we've been to both cars in the first lap, we can pack now. Yeah. <laughs> or you know it's they got one more lap left and we haven't needed the front wing <laughs> yeah, yeah that can get packed up um so n- within eight hours after the race everything is normally gone from the circuit that blows eight me away 
hours. But we saw that at Indies in mid-Ohio. We watched yeah. those guys packing up as the race is going on. Mm-hmm. You walk through the, the pit lane after the race. And, I mean... They're actively breaking stuff down. It's actively breaking stuff down. And in some places, it's crickets in the corners. I mean, it's like, wow. The mechanics are all packing their their boxes during the race. Mm-hmm. So the car is completely stripped down and each component is placed in its own foam slot, sometimes after being wrapped with bubble wrap as an extra precaution. And if it's not a back-to-back race, when the cars, then the cars are flown back to the factory to be checked over and repainted. Yes. We now, talked about that last week, about mm-hmm. the repainting. Um, they also will go and do extra checks of the roads to and from the airports to make sure the drivers know if there's any obstacles that could impact the journey. Um, also, you know, any local customs or quirks or any other things that can, need to be ironed out. And during the European back-to-back season in 2019, you know, now we're, we're staying in the same spot, but the, the European 2019 back-to-back season, the trucks carrying the main supplies will be double or even triple manned so that they can travel without having to stop for rest breaks and lose vital time. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. It is. So that brings me to, our, to some comments from Lando Norris. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned last week that if you were not a fan of Lando Norris, you really should be a fan of Lando Norris because he's really a good guy. Well, that's not what you said. You said if you were not a fan of Lando Calrissian Norris. Yes, Lando Calrissian Norris. You've nicknamed him. You have to keep his nickname. Okay, we will continue. Lando Calrissian Norris made some comments directly aimed at Formula One and the teams, saying that they need to work to help ease the strain of the brutal schedule on the engineers and the mechanics uh, due to the compressed schedule, especially this whole idea of, you know, they're doing nine races in 11 weeks. And he's like, the strain here, the real hard part, isn't for those of us driving the car. No. It's the engineers and the mechanics. Um, He says, you know, for drivers, it's not too bad. In some ways, we do the least amount of work in terms of being at the track, as in driving the actual race car, compared to the time the mechanics spend working on the car and building it and management where the engineers spend at the racetrack. So honestly, for us, and for me anyway, I feel like I'm fit enough that I can go out and do the race, and I'm not completely dead after it and feeling like it's going to take ages to recover. So I'm not that concerned, you know, from my side. Honestly, it's tougher for the engineers and the mechanics because they're the guys and girls who spend the most time at the track working and traveling. It's more of a kind of trying to look after them and keep them in good condition, especially the mechanics who are doing the pit stops and so on. They also have a big impact on performance. They also are the guys who can bring us overtakes, and if you have good pit stops, it can gain us positions and things like that. So it's trying to keep everyone in the best shape possible. For me, I'm fine, but it's more of a question for them, and I'm trying to look after them and keep them in, in the best condition. And then he went on to say, and, and this was the follow-up to the conversation we had last week about the picture that was circulating in social media of Lando Calrissian Norris under, I'm not sure if it was his car, but one of the McLaren, McLarens helping to disassemble it and take it apart. I think that's really cool. It is. Um, so he also said that, so 
he was he was asked about this and, and, and talked a little more about what happened and why and, and really his philosophy around this. He said, I enjoy spending time in working with the mechanics and engineers. It's something I've done since I've joined McLaren in trying to get myself more integrated with the team, work with the mechanics and get to know each other better. I think it's a crucial part of getting to know them and improving our atmosphere as a team and I enjoy it. It's good fun and the only thing I would be doing is going back lying in my bed and watching Netflix. I prefer to take apart an F1 car than do that. Um, he said that, you know, he's been doing this on Sunday nights ever since he first started driving for McLaren during practice sessions in 2018. Oh, my. Um, he says nobody outside the team had previously noticed. It wasn't something that he thought the need to go public with. He says it's something I've done quite a few times before, but it's not something that I feel I need to put on social media. It's something I've done since karting, really, that I used to do with my engineer. We used to have, we used to always have to post race clean all the carts and the chain guard and the airbox and the majority of things, and it's something I've always kind of enjoyed doing. I loved doing that stuff as a kid, taking things apart and so on. I've kind of done that all the way through from karting to F1, but I guess in F1 it's a bit different. Although I've done it since 2018. So when I was doing some of the free practice ones, so in like America, Japan, Mexico, Abu Dhabi, I did it sometimes. I haven't done it every time, but it's more obviously when my flights are on a Monday. Fly that boy out on Monday. Yeah. He says, it's quite cool. Who wouldn't want to go and take apart an F1 car and get to explore it a bit and work with the mechanics and so on? It's, it is just good fun. And you learn something new about, and it's just a a bit more hands-on. It's also good for the team. It's good for myself and my mechanics that we're working together. I'm helping them. It makes their job much easier. They've done the whole race weekend. They did three weeks in a row. And I thought I could just help them and make their lives a bit easier. It's not something I choose to do just because we did three weeks in a row, because it's something I've done several times before. It's more the fact of just helping them anyway. Me enjoying it, getting to spend some time with them. We have some good laughs and we have some jokes. Well, that's awesome. As long as he's not slowing them down because they have to tell him lefty Lucy and righty tighty, I mean that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience. That's important to know that difference. Well, it is important to know that difference, but having the joy of pulling bolts off of a car, it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. It's a little harder when you don't remember where they go. That's the challenge. At least the mechanics. I probably he's not saying anything about putting it back together. True. He's True. you know. And I really hope that the picture was of an actual car and they didn't just, like, give him a spare car. Here, you take apart this one. <laughs> it, it won't matter. Actually, what it is is you just keep working on Carlos's car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just remember, it's lefty Lucy, righty tighty. So we don't have official word on this yet, but it looks like McLaren is set to bring back the their partner or, or set to resurrect their partnership with Gulf Oil. I think this is cool. It is. Now, while we don't have the official announcement, McLaren did go and release a picture of the this year's car with Lando Norris and Zach Brown and one of the, the road McLaren sitting in front of a Gulf Oil or, or a Gulf gas station in the UK and on the car was a golf badge. Nice. So it seems highly likely. And, and to be clear, it's still papaya orange. So we have not gone to the baby blue and white golf, classic golf livery. 
we may do that if they want to. It doesn't sound like this is a title sponsorship. I think if it was a title sponsorship, we might see a color change on the card. As of right now, we have no indication that that is going to happen. Yeah, but they did a version of the livery back in the day that combined the papaya orange with the baby blue, which I thought was really sharp. I know this because the boy has a t-shirt. He does, and... The, the partnership between McLaren and Gulf Oil goes back to the, the origins of McLaren. Right. Um, back in the 60s, Gulf Oil sponsored Bruce McLaren's efforts in F1 and in the popular Can-Am sports car championship. And I think it's a Can-Am car that he's got the picture. Ah. Uh, or he, he's got the, the, it on his shirt, is the Can-Am car. Um, the Gulf logo went on to become one of the most well-known in motor racing and featured heavily in the 1971 movie Le Mans with Steve McQueen driving for the Gulf team. The company went on to enjoy numerous victories at Le Mans, and in the 1990s, it renewed a, a sponsorship partnership. That's great. A sponsorship partnership with McLaren and the privately owned race team run by Ray Bellum. Um, the Gulf McLaren F1 GTR was in sports car racing at the time, winning the 96 BPR Global Endurance Series and the GT Class at Le Mans in 1997. So we'll see when this announcement's going to come. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. So the protest. The protest. Uh, to be clear, because it's 2020, we must narrow the protest down. Okay. The <laughs> The Renault protest regarding the brake ducts on the racing point. Okay. That protest, which in theory we should have uh, a decision in the next week on, at least the first one. Mm -hmm. um, Ross Braun, after the race last weekend, so he's been doing um, a column on FormulaOne.com, and he elected to address this issue directly. Really? Ross Braun. And, and those who know Ross Braun probably have a fairly good idea of where he's going to go. Especially since he started with, my view is copying in Formula One is standard. <laughs> um, but but he, 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 he elaborate on it. But he said, you know, every team has in normal times digital photographers in the pit lane out there taking thousands of photos of every car for analysis with a view of copying the best ideas. We used to give our photographers a shopping list. <laughs> Racing Point have just taken it to the next stage and done a more thorough job. There is not a single team in this paddock which has not copied something from another. I'd ask every technical director in the paddock to raise their hand if they haven't copied someone else. You won't see any hands. I have certainly copied others. Otmar has gone on to say that um, it is impossible for the brake ducks to be illegal. And they have no concerns whatsoever. But Ross went, and, and, and I think he did a, a, a better explanation of the whole listed parts 2019 and how this, than, than we did last week. And we, I thought ours was pretty darn good. I don't know. I thought we might have muddied the waters a little bit. Oh, wow. Okay, so what Ross said was that last year, Racing Point had access to and could use 2019 spec Mercedes brake ducts because they were not a listed part. This year, brake ducts are listed parts, so you have to design your own. However... Racing Point cannot forget the knowledge they acquired using the 2019 Mercedes brake ducts. I think it is illogical to think they can wipe their memory banks. <laughs> it is a tricky problem and one for the FIA ex experts to resolve. That's, yeah. Yeah, he made it less murky than <clears throat> we did. 
Yeah. I would like to see them try wiping memory banks. I mean, they'd have to go to, you know, Men in Black and get the little... The little flashy things. Yeah. Yeah. Flashy thing. I'm sure that's actual technology somewhere. It is, definitely. The FIA has them. They're they're in a vault. They bring them out only when they need them. Just before somebody goes on gardening leave, they flash them. (laughs) (laughs) And they forget why they were going on gardening leave. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I see how that works. So... We didn't hear much of it after the race had started, for good reason. But if you'll recall, as the formation lap had happened, they, um, Lewis had popped on the radio and mentioned that he thought that the, the car felt like it was going to stall. Mm-hmm. And he was a little concerned about it. Um, Lewis got nothing back from the team. He might have gotten any acknowledgement from Bono, um, but nothing else. Well, it turns out that the team actually knew what was going on. Well, of course they did. Um, they knew everything about this. They knew what was happening. They couldn't tell Lewis, though. Oh, my. Because, remember, there's that whole rule about coaching on the, the that formation lap and radio communications on the formation lap. You know, like, oh, telling your drivers to come in and pit Get for tires. tires. <laughs> <laughs> but Mercedes knew that, that if they did anything other than acknowledge Lewis's call, they would have been in violation of the rule around coaching. Mm. Um, but they knew that it was just a sensor issue that was just impacting the idle situation. They knew the car wasn't going to stall. They knew the protections around anti-stall were still working and still in place. They just couldn't tell Lewis. Oh, wow. But it's I all good now. Kind of want them to like have a code <clears throat> word that's like, okay. Yes, and Lewis, banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we know that the, the DAS system is, is banned for 2021. However, Mercedes is still working on it. Okay. Now, they're not doing technical work around design work because that would be kind of silly. But what they are researching, and it does kind of make me wonder where they're going to go with it, they are still researching when are the best times to try and leverage it and deploy it and use it to best effect. That is very interesting. It is, and it really makes me wonder what the thought is, since this is something that needs to be pulled off, or have they figured out another way to deal with this? That's the big question, is what have they figured out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we don't have any more info, but they do admit that they are still looking at the conditions and, and the best way to leverage it. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, over at Williams, you know how it was really odd that um, George Russell had some really great laps, and Nick Latifi couldn't keep up. I just figured that was because Nick Latifi isn't that great, isn't as good a driver. Yeah, I, I was kind of, I wasn't shocked. <clears throat> yeah, Williams says that actually there's an upgrade. Oh, they only have one of them though, right wow. now. So they've been alternating between the cars. Okay. And last weekend, it was on George's car and not Nick's car, which is why Nick couldn't keep up. They tell us that the upgrade will be on both cars. They will finally have it fully fleshed out for both cars for Silverstone. Okay. For the British Grand Prix as opposed to the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Well, that's important because, you know, we do have both of them. But they're not telling us what the upgrade is. It's a secret. It's a secret. It's a very powerful upgrade, they tell us. Well, it got George into Q2. 
it fixed some problem on the car. Yeah, we, we don't know what else is going on. What it is. All we know is that they had one set of this upgrade and were alternating between the cars the last couple of races. It's so Nick got it from 2019. Yeah. We know Nick got it. I mean, if they were alternating, that means Nick got it once and George got it twice. Okay. And George had better results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it is also that George is a better driver. But. So, over at uh, Haas, there was some interesting conversations last week with uh, Roman. And none and of them we can repeat. <laughs> we repeated what we could. Uh, which was that there was a conversation. There was, well, well, the words were said. <laughs> yeah. We won't keep our clean rating if they, you know, go public. Um, well, we, we know Gunther was not happy with some of the things that, that Roman had said about um, the future of Haas and, and how it relates to possibly his future, with Gunther possibly saying that um, it's... I Well, my interpretation is that it's more unlikely that Roman will not have a seat next year at Haas. It's more unlikely. Or it's more likely that Roman will not have a seat. You got to watch those double negatives. I know, I do. And it's not, double <clears throat> negatives are not your thing. So as you remember, um, Roman had said that, you know, the, the elephant in the room and about his future wasn't so much him. It was whether or not Haas would stay in Formula One. And Gunther, speaking to Sky, said, I think his answer was the wrong answer because he was asked what he is doing and he spoke for the team. I think the elephant is in his room, not in our room. We know what we want to do, and if we are here or not, that will be just decided once we sign the new Concord Agreement. Everything is on the way that this will happen. So Roman following up this week on these conversations and, and the little slap fight that happened, um, he said, I'm sorry if I said anything wrong. I didn't want to create anything. So no, there's no Netflix episodes. There is no problem. <laughs> I said something that I shouldn't have said, and then, you know, I'm sorry for the team. And all good. He got pulled aside <clears throat> and so, said, no. Well, well, Gunther says, I mean, I was never upset about it. You know me. I react to something, and I get over things pretty quick. I mean, I'm not upset. It was just like I was amazed when I read it because I wasn't there, obviously. So I asked, but I'm fine with him. I have no problem. If I get anybody mad, if I say something not appropriate, I would have everybody mad at me. But I get over things pretty quick. I think he realized it was a tough question, and he answered in, it answered in a way, maybe after thinking he didn't want to answer. And he didn't maybe mean what he said. You know, I have no problem. That's okay. What, that, that, that's what Gunther said. I have no problem. I have no We're problem. We're not angry. Okay. Well... Watch Netflix for more. Uh, <laughs> I really cannot wait for season three of Drive to Survive. Well, the, f the first three episodes are just going to be a blank white screen. Well, okay. <laughs> well, no. I, the first episode is going to be the debacle in Australia. That's an episode. Yeah. And then we'll have a blank white screen for two episodes. Yeah. Or we'll have the inside of Ross Braun's office as they try to figure out how they're going to salvage that the scene. Might be, that, and and that, that would could be, be awesome. That would be really interesting if we got some insight into some of that. 
I mean, I don't think we've seen a lot of Chase Carey in the show. So I think we may we may need to see more of him. I mean, Eyebrows isn't around anymore. Yeah. Well, that's it. Maybe because Eyebrows isn't dominating. It'll change. I don't know. His eyebrows did dominate. <laughs> anyway. So. Racing Point Aston Martin 2021 Future Drivers. Okay. We mentioned that the rumors have spun about Sebastian Vettel. And at this point, nobody's denying that conversations are occurring. But has anybody said that Sergio Perez is a really nice guy? Let me get to that. <laughs> Uh-oh. The first thing that happened, though, was that Toto Wolf stood up and he said, I'm not involved in these negotiations. Now, you're probably wondering, why, why did would... Toto say something like this? Why would he get... But remember... Toto now owns um, a 5% interest in Aston Martin. Oh. Right. And Toto apparently has a very close relationship with Lawrence Stroll. Oh. Maybe, you know, since we're buds with Toto, maybe you should lay <clears throat> off on the whole daddy's little son buying a team thing if they're buddies. Yeah. It does not get us invited over for, you know, drinks. Toto said about the negotiations and the shareholding. Mm -hmm. He said, my shareholding in the car company is not related at all to the F1 racing team. I'm not involved in any discussions between Lawrence Stroll, Otmar, and Sebastian. Obviously, I know Sebastian very well, and I've been part of some, let's say, social gatherings, but no more than that. I want to know why he had to say he's been part of some let's say social gatherings what are these gatherings well obviously we're not invited obviously <laughs> not but but why did he have to say and and i get that english is not his first language but why did he have to say it like that what were these events i, I don't know the mind boggles i mean for all you know, it was Sebastian's wedding. I, I mean, mean... Yeah, it could have been. Um, now, Toto did go on to say that uh, I think Checo is a very valuable part of the team. He has been a good driver and a known quantity for Racing Point. And Sebastian, on the other side, is a four-time world champion that brings a lot of speed, a lot of engineering expertise, and an important marketing tool to the table. But in the end, it will be Lawrence's decision what the best lineup will be for his racing team. So there's your closest to... Sergio's nope. a nice guy. No. Good driver. They didn't say anything about him being a nice guy. Okay. So he's safe for now. So... Otmar Safnauer was, was approached um, and asked if Sergio's loyalty and the role that he helped play the team would... Uh, that he played in helping the team survive 2018 would be a factor. And Otmar said... I think the fact that he has got a signed contract will be a key factor that means we keep him. But I know what you're asking, and Sergio has been loyal to us. He's been here for a long time. He's a great racer, works well with the team, and he works well with Lance. And he helps Lance, so I'm sure all those factors do matter. Okay. Still, he's still not a nice guy, so therefore we're okay. Okay. And, I mean, he did open it with, I think the fact that he's got a signed contract will be a key factor that means we keep him. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was an interesting way to answer that. 
when they're still having conversations. And even Sergio has said of, yeah, if one of these drivers are going to go, it's not going to be the boss's kid. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the words he said was, it's not going to be the boss's not It, it won't be Lance. It's, it's not going to be the boss's kid. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean I, it's got to be a tough position if you really think about it. Even Vettel, assessing if he wants to go to that team, he's got to understand that he he's up against the boss's kid. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he may drive you know circles around Lance, which we would expect. But at the end of the day, if they get ticked off and they're looking to replace a seat, it's not going to be the boss's kid. I mean, Lance is going to have to decide he's done with Formula One for him not to have a seat for a while. Yeah. For the foreseeable future. Yeah. So... Last week, in, in after the ongoing unraveling of Ferrari season that never was really raveled in the first place this year. <laughs> How can you unravel what was never fully raveled to start with? I, I don't know. But it's not getting better at Ferrari. <laughs> but, but after the last race, Mattia Bonotto said that um, there would not be a knee-jerk reaction or mass firings following the difficult start to the season. That's okay. what he said. And then this week, Ferrari announced a restructuring of its technical team, creating a new performance development department that aims to render it more effective and ensure a more holistic emphasis on performance development by instituting a chain of command that is more focused and simplified and provides the heads of each department the necessary powers to achieve their objectives. We fired some folks who were not doing a good job and we promoted some other folks. But there's no mass firings, according to Mattia Bonetto. They completely rewrote their org chart. Yeah. They didn't fire them. They put them on gardening leave. Well, that's true. They pulled the little flashy thing out. Yeah. So this coming week, as, <laughs> they made them redundant. No, nothing else. They, they did. They were very redundant. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will go work at the Enzo uh, Museum. Museum. Actually, I don't because that's what I, I was never fully clear on. Remember, the Enzo Museum is the one that's over in Modena, but there's the Ferrari Museum that's two blocks away in Marinello. So they may have sent him over to the Ferrari Museum. Well, they could. Depending on how mad they are, they could have sent him over to the Enzo Museum. I, see, but I don't know if that how directly tied into the Ferrari company. I mean, you can buy tickets for both, so I don't know if, on one ticket, but I don't know. I was just suggesting that depending on how ticked off is how far you go. I mean, well, at some point, somebody's going to go clean the, the mansion's toilets. Well, no, I, I figured it was going to be either... You get to be, you know, the, the guy, especially at the Ferrari Museum in Marinello, um, they've got the pit wall. So you could, you could run the, the pit wall experience that they've got there, which wasn't operating when I was there. You could possibly be one of the tour guides, or you could end up working in the gift shop or the cafe. Custodian. There is always toilet cleaner. That's true. And, you know, since these are folks who they're, they're knowledgeable of the technology and, and the sensitivity and, and all of that stuff of the Ferrari stuff, you could use them as a custodian to make sure that they keep the cars clean because they would treat it with the proper level of care. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they would have. And if pers- they didn't, they'd know how to fix it. I was going to say they probably use the same uh, car cleaning kit that James May uses. Yes. 
Which, by the way, he tweeted for the first time in a very long time. James May? Yeah. Uh, I, he tweets quite a bit. I got a ping that said he tweeted for the first time in a long time. Nah, he, he tweets quite a bit, and he's up on Facebook quite a bit. I'm not friends with him on Facebook. Mm, maybe you should be. <laughs> Anyways, since we've now moved to the British, <laughs> this weekend, as we mentioned, is the British Grand Prix, and once again... Um, not just the organizers of the British Grand Prix, but also the Northamptonshire police are reminding folks in the UK, obviously not folks in America who we were thinking that they were going because we still can't travel to Europe. Um, but for folks who are in the UK, they are reminding them as much as this is the home of Formula One and this is a popular race, do not go to the track. The event is not going to be held with fans. You are not going to be allowed in. Do not gather at the gates. Do not congregate. Do not come to the track. And Lewis Hamilton has has even said, as much as I'm going to miss the fans, do not come to the track. <laughs> They're very no, concerned about this. There is no reason for you to be here. Yeah. Um restrictions however because so we've got the two races that are currently scheduled to go at silverstone mm -hmm. the the british grand prix and any f1 70th anniversary grand prix from there they're supposed to go to barcelona for the the, the third leg of that back-to-back -back, um for the spanish grand prix not the spanish grand prix the spanish <laughs> grand prix <laughs> hopefully they'll paint it right this time um as it stands right now, that race is still planned to go on on August 16th. This is despite a reintroduction of restrictions in Catalonia following a spike of COVID-19 uh, cases. Um, last week, Barcelona citizens were asked to remain home for 15 days with a ban being placed on meetings of more than 10 people, as well as a suspension of cultural activities and recreational sport. So mm -hmm. that led to some speculation that the race could be in jeopardy. As of right now, we are being told that the race will continue as expected. Well, they probably have all the desks there already. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, all the all the equipment's there. Now, the the suspicion is that if something should happen, if the race needs to get canceled, we're going to be we're going to be looking at three races in Silverstone. Ah. Silverstone has said that they could do it. Um, right now, the belief is that um, there are no plans to hold the race in Silverstone. That that that, that fallback is not going to happen. Um, but they're also saying that the circuit in Montmelo lit, uh, is outside of the lockdown area in Barcelona, which means that those attending the race at the circuit would be unaffected by the restrictions in place. Now, what they may have to do is shift around some of the lodging arrangements to make sure that none of the team personnel are in hotels that are in that zone. Got it. Um, as we expected, it is official. Formula One will not be returning to the Americas this year. So all of North America is canceled. Yeah. Um, Circuit of the Americas is canceled. Brazil is canceled. Montreal is canceled. We will not be getting Formula One here. And, and honestly, it wasn't a surprise. Well, you were predicting it last week. So. Yeah, at least last week, if not further than that. Um, now, the one thing that we did find out is that um, apparently, up until January, 
ticket sales at Circuit of the Americas for this year had been up significantly, 250%, and they were expecting it to continue to rise. What do you think was driving that? I don't know. Um, or was it that they just had a really bad year the year prior? No. Um, what? Um, oh, you know what I wonder? What? The popularity of Drive to Survive. That may have been what it was. So Bobby Epstein said that um, the 250% number that they were looking at was conservative. He says, hopefully we haven't lost some momentum. It's just delayed for 2021. Coming off last year's sellout, the desire for people to secure their seat for this year was terrific. Our deposits for tickets as well as inquiries were both up significantly. I think it, sh- it showed, I think, that we had finally got it right from the standpoint of being a destination event. The plans for this year that we had mapped up included increased seating and upgrades to a number of areas. We had some real superstar acts lined up for the evenings that I think would have helped us continue to grow. And actually, Epstein does say that Drive to Survive played a role, um, and even Daniel Ricardo says that the series has had an impact. Um, So that's what they're saying is that there's increased exposure and Drive to Survive probably did have an impact. I'm sorry, we have a guest uh, <laughs> a guest in your, what do you call it, your glass-enclosed nerve? The glass-enclosed nerve center. Yeah, well, we have a guest that decided to start playing with some of your toys. Well, the, the thing is, actually, since we moved to the glass-enclosed nerve center, we have our biggest audience that we have had for the show since, oh, we were in Ohio. Well... That's good, except one of them is hiding in fear of the rain. Well, yeah, there's that. Anyway, <laughs> um, so in, you know, you, you had mentioned that hopefully we will get to see some of these negotiations around building out the schedule for this year. Apparently, as part of this, one of the things that happened was Silverstone approached Formula One and offered to host as many as 12 races this year so that the season could happen. Can you imagine? 12 races races i mean by the third one it would be like oh well that person's gonna win <laughs> i mean what would be different so Stuart pringle who, who's the the managing director of silverson said that they approached formula one and said we'll support however we can within the grounds of reasonableness but at one stage we offered to make the track available for a period of months if they could get a championship away from one location at one stage, it looked like nothing could happen. And the answer was ship in the Italian teams and Swiss team and the Pirelli guys and park them at Silverstone for a couple months and run 12 races around Silverstone and make television. Is that what you need? The view was taken pretty quickly that it would be a bit dull, but they came back and said, actually, two would be quite helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, and if you bag within the first month half the races you need for a world championship by going to two venues that you know you can control with a tight bubble, quarantine, whatever, then there's a massive leg up on your journey towards securing eight races for a world championship. Well, that explains a lot of why we have the back-to-backs that we've had. Yep. And you know try to secure as much as we could i mean that's why they rolled out the first eight instantly and we've got confirmation of the next three races to come yes so after russia the formula one circuit will then head off to uh germany now we had initially heard that hockenheim was going to be in the running but this week we got word that hockenheim is not going to host a race 
and instead Formula One is returning to Nürburgring. Wow. Now, to be clear, before anybody gets excited, number one, for reasons that I can't figure out, it's not going to be called the German Grand Prix. Interesting. It is the Eiffel Grand Prix. Oh, I don't know why that it's not the German Grand Prix. But the other thing to point out is that um, just like we have seen in the past, this does not mean that we're going to see F1 on the Nordschleife, right. which is the 13-mile track, the Green Hell, as, as Sir Jackie Stewart calls it. It's going to be on the Grand Prix track that F1 last raced on in 2013. And that's where, again, I'm not particularly excited because I don't remember that ever being a great race. I don't know. Other than the fact that, well, we were at Nürburgring. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't remember. It was so long ago. So that's going to be October 9th to the 11th will be Formula One's return to Nürburgring. Uh, from there, October 23rd to the 25th is the Portuguese Grand Prix, which will be held at Algarve, which we had heard was coming. Or, excuse me, Portimao. Mm-hmm. Which, well, Portimao, I think, is in Algarve, Portugal, is the town. Okay. Um, and then October 31st to November 1st. So it's just going to be a two day weekend. Will be the Emilia Romana Grand Prix. Which will be at? Imola. We're getting Imola. Imola is back. And it turns out that. Um, and and honestly, as I heard more about it, this should have been an easy sell, despite mm-hmm. all that we have heard in a number of times that Imola stepped up and said, hey, we can do this. The more I heard about it and the more I heard about what happened, this should have been a super easy sell. So since Formula One has been there in the past, um, the entire pit garage was torn down and a modern facility was put in. Um, they have maintained their grade one certification all of these years and apparently when Michael Mossy came out there were very minor changes that were recommended really nothing that had anything to do with the layout of the circuit oh wow they were ready for Formula One to come in almost instantly Mm. I'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) there was cheers when you texted me in my office not that you could hear it because i'm in a windowless bunker but um there were cheers in my office at the text that said we have emola so not only that but according to and and honestly this shouldn't be a a huge surprise the the head of emola umberto salvatico estance he says that we've been looking for this goal for many years. We talked with Formula One management people for a long time, and now we've achieved the target that we tried to get. I think our heritage is so important. We are so famous for Formula One that this opportunity came true not only because of COVID, but because F1 needs to come back to the historical tracks, back to the real passion of F1 fans. We are trying to apply for, to Formula One for an opportunity for next year, but there's everything to discuss after the race, I think. Our will is very clear. We are driven by our passion. Now, the reason why they're going to be a, a two-day race, and, and it could be interesting, is apparently, between even though these are back-to-back races, it's a 1,500-mile distance between uh, Portimao and Imola. Mm. 
So to give teams some extra time, they're shortening the weekend. Now it's going to be interesting because I can't see them having more than one, maybe two free practice sessions at a track that we have not run. Actually, we, we can't say we have not run modern Formula One cars because I believe we mentioned that AlphaTauri has been there this year right. for some photo days. Um, or is that Mugello? One of the two. Yeah, because if it's the other one, it's wrong. But um, <laughs> the thing is, even the whole the whole grid has not been at Emila right. in ever. Um, and so there's a need to learn the track. They're going to have to do free practices. My best guess is at the very least they're going to do free practice one and free practice two. And then on that Saturday, and then do um, quali followed by the race on Sunday. That would be my best guess. That, that, that's my thought. Now, we don't know what the details are, because even though this announcement came out on Friday, the Formula One website has not been updated yet. So we don't have the weekend schedule. We have everything through Russia. They have not added the next three races. Um, there is also some talk, like we mentioned, that Russia was going to try and have fans. They're going to try and have fans for some of these races as well. Oh, wow. Um, it's going to depend on what local authorities dictate, but they are trying to get fans back in. Wow. Now, we're still it's... waiting on word for Asia. It's so weird to have countries that are starting to have spectator sports again as, you know... Our country can't figure out how to slow the spread. Yeah, well, apparently in the rest of the world, there isn't a political debate around wearing masks. Wow. That would be so refreshing. Anyway. <laughs> so on that note, now that we have just brought everything down, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.